Hey everybody, it's your internet friend Andy Bowell here, uh, and I just wanted to get in front of two things before we start the episode. The first is to let you know that we actually recorded this in the next episode in reverse. So if you hear any references that you don't remember or maybe don't understand, don't worry about it. Just think of those as a sneak peek for what we're getting into next time. The second thing is we are talking about Robin Williams this week, and we are talking about his life as well as his death. If frank talk of depression or suicide is triggering or just simply not what you are here for, we completely understand. We get into that part of the conversation around the uh, one hour, seven minute mark, um, and we will take no offense if you skip around that part. Uh, And the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. And with that said, please enjoy the episode. We had a phenomenal time creating it. I hope you have a phenomenal time listening to it. Hello, Internet friends! Welcome to Love-Hate Relationship, an opinionated podcast by opinionated people. We're so glad you could join us. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz. And under normal auspices, well, we would be here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your life in that order. But um, you know what? We're changing things up today. Uh, this is episode six for us. So we're going to just brighten your soul all together. We have our very spe- what I'm referring to as our triple love special. Yeah. And uh, with our triple love special, we have included a third host, a very, very special guest host. I'm here. You're Yay. here. The <laughs> lovely and incomparable Stephanie Johnson. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I would like that on a plaque, please. I mean... Could probably now. Or can I give you an index card with? I'll like, take an index card. Index card, sharpie, yeah. just like the incomparable Stephanie Renee Johnson, and then like I'll draw little smileys in the corner. That's a lot to fit on an index card there. I'll get one of those like big fancy like what are they called? Legal sized index cards? Is that a thing? There you like, go. Yeah, that's totally a thing. <laughs> Um, so for, so we're, we're doing a couple of things different this week. Uh, we're, we're only doing a love and we'll get into that. We're also having our first ever guest, uh, host on the podcast. And if you don't like it, go make your own show. Uh, but we're going (laughs) to play around and experiment and see how this feels. Yeah. So, so our idea putting this together was, um, you know, if we find a topic that, we care about enough and that we have another person who we can bring on who can really speak to this subject. Uh, I, I'm not going to tell you guys that we're not going to do a triple hate special at some point. We, are. we don't have any plans for one right now. But I have plans. Um, oh, <laughs> dear. Oh. But um, anyone who knows Stephanie knows that she is, uh, she definitely projects forward a face of being a incredibly love-inspired person, someone who brings brightness and keenness and joy to everyone in her life. And so we thought for our triple love special, bringing her on would be just an absolute treat. Oh, well, thank you. I'm honored to be here, and I'm super honored to be your guys's first guest host, though I'm pretty sure it was easy because, Alex, I just live in your home. Yes, yes. And (laughs) Yeah, for those who don't know, um, the person who for the last five episodes I've been like, my wife, my wife, my wife, my wife. I don't have a name, apparently. I'm just my wife. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, 
You took it to Borat. I did not take it to Borat. I want that notated. <laughs> that needs to be, if this ever gets into the Library of Congress, like, I need that notated for future generations. I did not go into the Borat voice first. I would like to say that I've never seen Borat. I am actually referencing How I Met Your Mother. Oh, okay. Where where they reference Borat. I like Halloween very much. It's nice. He's also tomorrow. Damn it. But I've never seen Borat. Oh, so see. basically, she's not she's not pulling a Luigi. She's pulling a Waluigi where she's a reference to a reference to a reference. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I love how long we skated around the fact that you guys are married. But... <laughs> It's like three minutes into the podcast. Like I, I, I didn't want to open with that. Like, fair enough. Fair it'd be kind of shitty if I sit here and go like, okay, this is everyone, everyone, everyone who's listening. Please welcome my lovely and fantastic wife. Like, no. I mean, why not? Because you have credentials, woman. That's like, true. I do have that's true. two degrees. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Stephanie is uh, is a writer. She is an artist. She is an editor. Yes. of a literary journal. Yes, uh, she is a marketing expert. She arguably has, no, not, not argue, inarguably has way more qualifications to actually be doing this than, than we do, Andy. Yes. Um, but uh, we are nothing if not confident amateurs. <laughs> well, that's, that's very sweet. Yeah. Yes, well. And so, uh, like we said, we're trying a couple different things. One is our guest host. Uh, and the other is we are going to be focusing on just one topic, something that uh, all three of us very dearly love. And that thing is a who. And that who is the late, great down Robin. Down in Whoville? Yeah, down in Whoville. Uh, the late, <laughs> great Robin Williams. Yes! Uh, so, Andy, when you first introduced the idea of doing Robin Williams, um, what... At, for those who don't know, we're recording this like a few months before it's actually coming out. But um, as of when this episode goes live, Andy, how close are we to the anniversary of Robin Williams' passing? So at time of posting, if you're listening to this on the day we release it, uh, Robin Williams, uh, the anniversary of his death was three days ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had been to, I had been noodling this idea for a while. I wanted to be absolutely sure that one of my loves was going to be Robin Williams. And uh, looking into when that the date of his death actually was August 11th, um, it just worked out that we hadn't record the, the the episode we were going to need to record uh, is the episode that's going to drop that week, and that's what you're listening to now. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, Andy, this was your idea. Do you want to give just like a quick intro to Robin Williams and we'll get deep into this? Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's get into it. Um, so I think everyone knows Robin Williams, but not everybody knows his, uh, his story and how he came up. Uh, he was born July 21st, 1951 in Chicago. Uh, and, uh, in his somewhere between his childhood and, uh, when he made it, he moved to San Francisco and started, uh, started his entertainment career as a, uh, as a busker. Uh, he was a street performer and would do mime work and would basically improv heckle audience members, 
uh, it's funny. My dad actually has seen the guy perform before oh. he was anybody. Uh, my dad grew up. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. My dad grew up in Foster City, which is 10 minutes away from San Francisco. And he can recall uh, before Mork and Mindy, before any of the movies, uh, seeing Robin Williams in his striped suspenders and rainbow shirt uh, in the cannery, which is a uh, kind of a square in San Francisco and in Union mm-hmm. Square, which is kind of the hoity-toity rich. If you're if you're rich, you're staying at Union Square. Uh, he can recall seeing Robin Williams in both of those kind of public spaces, uh, being what he he calls a good mime, as in not a <laughs> yeah, as in like not a terrifying, as one, in not or... a not a black and white uh, beret French mime. <laughs> Oh, so like less pretentious. Got yes. it. <laughs> uh, Wonderful. Uh, so he, he would do his bit where, he, you know, he would follow somebody who wasn't paying attention and really exaggerate their walk. And, and you know, the guy turns around and Robin Williams pretends like he hasn't done anything. Uh, he would improv uh, pretty much. He would, he would improv make fun of people and, and give people grief. And he carried on doing that after he moved to New York. Uh, I don't think a lot of people know this. Robin Williams is a Juilliard-trained actor. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so he... That's that's kind of his roots. He, he got discovered uh, for the TV sitcom Mork and Mindy, which uh, started airing in 1978. And that was what introduced the world to Robin Williams... And he became such a such a hit playing this alien who doesn't know any any human customs and basically just being a wacky weirdo that he was able to turn that into an illustrious film career. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so that's kind of the intro to the, the, the history of Robin Williams that I don't think a lot of people know. Um, and I wanted to go into that. I wanted to... I always like to teach people about stuff. And so I also, the big thing I wanted to talk about is I wanted to get into his, his film career. Uh, I honestly mm-hmm. never really watched Mork and Mindy all that much. It's kind of a blind spot, but you're not missing too right. Much. And it's kind of before your time. I mean, before all of our times, we were all born after 1988 and I don't actually know when Mork and Mindy came Mork out. Mork and Mindy was 70, oh God, 78 to 82, I think. Yeah, so it's uh, before us. Yeah, it was a spinoff of Happy Days. Like, that whole that whole thing, him as Mork was just a, like, one or two episode thing on Happy Days, and he was popular enough that they were like, let's spin him off and give him his own series, and it's... Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was able to turn Mork and Mindy into the film career, and the film career is what I really want to get into. I never watched Mork and Mindy, but... Robin Williams was always on my TV as a kid. You know, my my parents Aww. loved him. Clearly, there was a little bit of of personal history there. Um, but his movies were just always on, and not even his his kids' movies, but just his movies. Uh, I want to mm-hmm. break. I want to go a little bit by bit of his film career for you guys, just real quickly, and run off some stuff. His first movie was a, a live-action version of Popeye, where he played Popeye. Um, yes. And then... Have you seen that version of Popeye? Andy? I have. <laughs> and it is... It's awful. It is terrible. It is an awful movie. Oh, no. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like, anyone can understand why he would take it, because, you know, it's, it's, his, first, it's his first movie, it's an iconic character. He was not the problem with it. It was just a bad movie, yeah. but... Yeah. 
But yeah, I'm sorry. Please continue. Um, so Popeye, and then the next big thing he was in was The World According to Garp. Would... Oh, oh, so good. Yeah, right? Uh, the World According to Garp, The Survivors, Moscow on the Hudson, Club Paradise, Good Morning Vietnam. woo Right? Um, Back to Neverland, Dead Poet Society, Cadillac Man, Awakenings, The Fisher King, Hook. Um, I mean, I don't need to, I don't need to run through his whole, uh, filmography. Every, I haven't even hit on Mrs. Doubtfire or Aladdin or Flubber, oh, Jumanji. I mean, y- you know Robin Williams, you know his hits. I wanted to kind of pull some examples, though, because a real, a real point, a real important thing in talking about this that I wanted to touch on was to show that this man was an actor, you know, we remember Robin Williams mostly for all of his zany, wacky, uh, sometimes coked up, uh, hilarious antics. Sure. But for every Flubber, you have the Fisher King. For every Jumanji, you have Jacob the Liar. Um, and even even the movies where he was the starring man, Good Morning Vietnam, Mrs. Doubtfire... Uh, those movies balance comedy and and poignancy and pain so well. You know, I yeah. uh, I can't listen to him say "Good Morning Vietnam" anymore without choking up. I I I can't. Good morning Vietnam. Yeah. Sure. Sure. And I think it just it needs to be commended the the talent that this guy had mm. the, the, the craft he put in and the way he was able to play anything. I haven't even talked about it. He's, he, he's played villains and I don't think anybody remembers that, but in one hour photo, he plays a serial stalker in insomnia with Al Pacino. He plays a serial killer. Um, mm. and in August rush, he is a despicable piece of shit. Human, ma- uh, child, abuser. child abuser. Yeah. Human trafficker question Kinda, mark? Like, yeah, a little bit. And isn't there like vague pedophilia hinted at too because of like how he touches like not actually touches the kids, but like where his hand is placed, it kind of shows like, oh, there's more going on here too. Yeah. It's a PG movie, so yeah. they do you know, they do what they can with it, but I mean there are horrifying implications just with yeah. the entire situation of that movie. Right, exactly. I mean and 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 you know, looking at him, people people only remember, or at least I feel like most people only remember the the highlights and and the laughter and the comedy. Right. But people don't remember. If anything, people remember Goodwill Hunting, and people point at that and go, "Oh, that was when Robin Williams got serious." No, that's when Robin Williams won an Academy Award. He'd been yeah. right. he'd been playing serious from his second film credit. You know, The World According yeah. to Garp yeah. is a is is a tragic screwed up drama and it's it, it's lovely um mm. but it is it, it's based on a beautiful john irving novel right. it has john lithgow playing a playing a character who by today's terms is kind of problematic but for the 80s for the late 80s was incredibly progressive he plays a former football player turned transsexual activist like mm. It's that movie is in and Robin Williams's character Garp is, you know, completely stands by him the entire time. Like it is a harrowing movie and very deep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know if this speaks to anything, but I remember when August Rush came out, the advertisements, like the trailers that were being shown on TV commercials, 
didn't, you know how they'll say, like, the main actors in the film, they didn't mention Robin Williams right. as a main actor. Right, yeah. So it was so shocking when you're halfway through this movie to go, oh my gosh, that's Robin Williams. But he, I think, Andy, what speaks to his ability as an actor is that sometimes he would give himself over so much to the physical transformation as well that it was like, oh my God, I'm looking at a totally different person. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny you bring up uh, that he, he wasn't credited in August Rush. I wonder if that was his call and his choice because it wouldn't be the first time he did that. He uh, he made a real big point when he took on the role of playing the genie in Aladdin to not have like top billing and not make it about yeah. Robin Williams in a Disney movie. Yeah, and that's... I want to touch on that story a little bit farther down the line because um, that, that to me speaks a lot about Robin Williams and his interactions with this business and his own personal philosophies but yeah i mean that's that's definitely a worthwhile thing like robin williams stood up to disney yeah and they screwed him and he did not uh he was not quiet about it after the fact either no not at all and i i remember the the big famous thing is uh you know after disney screwed him over he he still had the rights to the character of the genie and basically has hold, has held on to those, and the Williams estate owns the rights to Genie. And, uh, you know, they're making what I'm kind of sure is going to be an awful Guy Pierce live-action Aladdin. Uh-huh. Will Smith is going to be the Genie in that, by the way. Oh, God. I'm, I mean... That... Which... I... Not Guy Pierce, Guy Ritchie, sorry. I need to correct that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. I don't know, like, I think about, if you're, well, actually, okay, no, this ties in great, like, you're gonna, okay, so you're gonna do a new take on a character that Robin Williams is so essential for, Mm. and, like, I've seen the clips of the people who have played Aladdin in the Broadway version, in the musical version of it, and... Like they're not all doing a Robin Williams impression. You mean who played the genie? Yeah, who played? Oh, who played? Sorry, yeah, who played the genie in the Aladdin um, stage musical? And they get actors who aren't necessarily doing a Robin Williams impression, but everyone who goes to Aladdin, there's an expectation for that character, mm-hmm. and there's a range and an ability that that character requires, and that they cast actors for. If you're going to do a brand new take on that character, I'm actually not mad at them for picking somebody who will very deliberately do a brand new take because you can't match Robin Williams. You can't imitate him to a satisfying degree. It's, yeah, yeah, it's... So so don't try. Yeah, no, it's yeah. a much it's a it's an even earlier version of the thing that everyone keeps talking about with Heath Ledger's Joker. Like everyone wants to be Heath Ledger's Joker. You can't be Heath Ledger's Joker. Nobody could be Heath Ledger's Joker. And with Heath Ledger's Joker, they were everyone was telling him like you can't be Jack Nicholson's Joker. Jack Nicholson's Joker is right. this penultimate. So he just did something totally new. Say what you will about Will Smith. I like Will Smith a lot. I think it's actually smart casting because Will Smith is not going to pretend to be Robin Williams. He's not going to even try it. He's going to completely just do his own thing and make his own take on the character. 
Sure, you know, I, yeah, and I was trying to say like I I don't wish any will ill will on Guy Ritchie. I don't wish any ill will on, on ill will, will on Will Smith. Ill will, ill will, will, yay! <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> Jar. No, you know, I I I hope the movie does well. I don't think it's going to. I I have a personal you know uh, stick in my throat about it over the the fact that uh robin williams was very public about his disinterest in having his character be in any sort of remakes and and the the hollywood machine grinding on and not giving a shit and putting it on there anyway that that bugs me but you know you make a good point if anyone's going to do it will smith is someone who will do it and not try to just give me a watered down robin williams and i can appreciate that even if i don't appreciate the 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 thing as a whole yeah yeah um so like i've said everyone i don't need to run down robin williams's filmography um i i I think I've done a good job at talking about how he, uh, or at least reminding people that the man was an immensely talented actor and could play pretty much anything. Uh, do we want to move on into the next part and, and talk a little bit more about his movies personally? Yeah, yeah. Um, Stephanie, this is kind of an idea that you put forward when we were discussing this. So Yeah, um, so... My thought about Robin Williams is that um, when he when he passed, I think part of the reason it was so sad for everyone was not, I mean, not just that this great, amazing artist had passed. It was also that we were grieving this man, and then we were also grieving a loss of a part of our childhood, because I think that's what he represents for a lot of people, especially of our generation. Mm-hmm. Because, like, like Alex says occasionally that you know every person has their own batman so for me and i think for alex too it's the like 1996 era animated cartoon kevin conroy who (laughs) went to juilliard and roomed with robin williams what it's all circular (laughs) fun fact fun fact well that i mean that man was responsible for me discovering oh Oh, men men are handsome, <laughs> and and they have nice voices. Because I was super in love with Bruce Wayne, not Batman, but Bruce Wayne. Um, I don't know what that says about me as that's a person, but I think <laughs> you like broad-shouldered brunettes. Like, that's... Uh, that's very true. Alex is a broad-shouldered brunette. Yeah, um, it can't be the money because like, <laughs> cause, like you, we have none. We we have none. Yeah, none more money. Um, but I think similarly, like how everyone has their own Batman, I think everyone has, uh, their own Robin Williams. So Alex and I were talking about this and I said, you know, it's so funny. You would think, because I think I was like three, four, five when Aladdin came out. So you'd think my Robin Williams movie would be Aladdin, but I don't think I was at an age where I could hear a voice and associate it with a person yet, mm. so I don't think my brain translated the two. But I associate Robin Williams with Hook and with Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when Robin Williams passed, it was Peter Pan had died. Yeah. And um, Mrs. Doubtfire had died. <sighs> and there's a reason that like when I'm 
giving advice to people or saying, which I do pretty frequently, Andy can attest to this, um, or like when I'm writing letters to people, I'll close it with all my love to you, Poppet, which is what Mrs. Doubtfire says at the end of her shows when she's writing, when she's reading advice letters. Mm-hmm. Andy, you okay? Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I, I knew this was going to happen. I'm getting a little caught up in it all. Um, it, it, I didn't know about this Kevin Conroy thing and <laughs> really? I, I really didn't. And I'm just sitting here being like, this man was friends with Batman and Superman. Yeah. He was also uh, very close friends with Christopher Reeve, who we also went to Juilliard right. with for those of you who didn't know. Uh, he paid a lot of Christopher Reeve's medical bills after his accident and supported his family financially after Christopher Reeve passed. Yes, and that is a phenomenally humanitarian thing to do. Something that I I think is even better, and this is a pretty famous story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, when Christopher Reeve was diagnosed with, help me, prior Lou Gehrig's? Um, a quick what? Google will tell us. <laughs> Vamp for me. Vamp for me, fuckers. Um, I, I really think it's Lou Gehrig's. Uh, it, when when Christopher Reeves was in the hospital and, and after the diagnosis had been uh, made... Yeah, actually, we... Wait, no, he, he had an accident. He'd been, he'd been... He'd been thrown from a, from a horse. That's right. Okay, okay, okay. Winding, re- rewinding, re- winding back. Um, uh, what Robin Williams did for Christopher Reeve after his accident and after he'd been paralyzed, um, Christopher Reeve is, is lying in his hospital bed and he is, um, you know, he, he's at his darkest. He is... He is in a, in a in in a bad place. He's scared. He's wondering um, what it, what what's going to happen with his life now. And Robin Williams bursts in with a lab coat which he stole uh, and and a pad of paper and and tells Mister Reeve that uh, we're we're, so- we're sorry, sir. The uh, the proctology surgery has been rescheduled. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, that's and that's and that was the moment for Christopher Reeve where he knew he was going to be okay. His his best friend had come in and made him laugh, and and that's wonderful to me. Um, So so he literally is Patch. Yeah, pretty much. take that moment to acknowledge that. Like, oh great, now she now Stephanie is tearing up. I knew this was going to happen. Um, I told Andy before before recording the show, I was like, Andy, you can't cry. You cry, I cry. You cry, I cry. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, you hit the nail on the head for for, for our generation, for, for these mid-90s kids that, that we pretty much are, um, he was, that, that was his peak. That was his peak as an actor. That's when he could do no wrong, and his all of his movies were great. And he he crafted these characters. You know, I I think I've watched Mrs. Doubtfire maybe thirty times just as a kid. Oh my gosh! You know, th- yeah, and and then you watch it as an adult, and you're like, whoa, this movie had so much more. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, like, okay, l- let me ask you guys this question because I remember that we all we all went to like elementary and middle school in different places. Yep. Um, I was in I was in Orlando, um, but I distinctly remember 
the days where I remember so many class days in school where either my teachers were behind on stuff or they were hungover or something. And she went, ah, I'll just show a video. And I was like, that's why teachers show videos? Um, and they would, you know, they'd show movies. Yeah, no, in California, they actually teach things. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's, <laughs> hell no, why? Um, but I, I distinctly remember, like, among all the other movies or things that they would show us around the uh, Remember the Titans, which seemed to get shown twice a year in middle school, or around Magic School Bus reruns early on, like, they would show us Jack mm. and Mrs. Doubtfire and mm. Patch Adams mm-hmm. and probably some others. Uh, I remember Flubber once. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jumanji a couple times, especially when we were yeah. younger. Like Robin Williams, and and like it was the shit that was playing on ABC Family or Fox Family back yeah. in the day. You just turn it on on a Saturday afternoon. It's there, and that's it, it's it's in that pantheon of shows or movies that I think were just background noise in our childhoods yeah. in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah. I can vividly remember going to um, a friend of mine's, like, ninth birthday party, and it was, like, the first time she'd had a sleepover ever. And so we were invited, invited over to her house, and her parents were like, okay, you can pick a movie. And that was the first time I watched Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, so, like, I have vivid memories of my childhood. Like, my first memory of Hook was watching it on, like, a Friday night pizza night with my family because that was a tradition we had growing up was we sat down, we had pizza and we sat down as a family and we watched a movie. And that and Hook sure. was one of them. Um, so so talking so, about Hook, do we want to talk about uh, our favorite, each of our three favorite Robin Williams movies? Yes. <laughs> I, I have so many feelings about Hook. May of I start? Yes, please. So this was actually, Alex and I were talking about you guys doing a Robbins Williams special, and Alex said, I don't think I have enough to fill a whole hour. And I was like, I have so many feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I can spend an hour talking about Hook Alone. But I think, um, so anyone who knows me knows that I love Peter Pan. I have three copies on the bookshelf behind me, and two of them are like annotated scholarly hardback Oh, yes, they're very pretty. Um, So I have loved Peter Pan for a very long time, but I saw Hook, I think, before ever seeing Peter Pan. Um, And one of the things... I, I feel like it's so solely responsible for a lot of my obsessions later in life. Like, it's responsible for my love of theater. It's responsible for my love of... Victorian literature. I think it's responsible for my fascination with folklore surrounding fairies and mermaids. Um, But I just also think it's such a brilliant film and it gets so undersold because, I mean, look at the cast. You have Dustin Hoffman. You have Julia Roberts. You have the great, amazing Maggie Smith and Robin Mm -hmm. Williams. And Glenn Close, and, like, no one knows she's in it. Right, right. George, Lu- George Lucas and Carrie Fisher, and no one knew they were yeah. in it. Yes! They're the they're the couple mecking out on the London Bridge, and they get floated into yep. the sky because they were thinking happy thoughts. <laughs> you got Bob Hoskins. It's, it's, it's an amazing cast. 
It's so star-studded. Um, but what most people... So what I was thinking about when I was thinking about Hook is that the title of the movie, and there is a novelization um, as well, but the title of both art pieces is Hook. And I thought it was so interesting that it would be Hook, but it's mostly about Peter. And I was thinking about that, and I was realizing that the reason it's called Hook is that Peter Pan... And growing up has swung so far to the other side of everything he was. And he becomes kind of like a pirate. Maggie Smith has a line where she says, Peter, you've become a pirate. And then later, when Peter goes to Neverland, um, he meets Rufio. (sighs) (laughs) And, um, And Rufio says, so you're a pirate. (laughs) <laughs> we kill pirates. Kill the lawyer! And I think that speaks to what Peter has become in the absence of the light of childhood and the absence of innocence. Yeah, and and that that character, the 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 father who is a businessman before he's a father, um, you know, mm. that's such a trope now. And I'm sure Hook wasn't the first. Uh, bit of film to do that but it it, it certainly uh, had to have been one of the ones that popularized it the most and it's it, it's such a wonderful movie about about reclaiming your imagination and and your innocence and you know it, uh, it it's a pretty divisive um, film I've, I've actually heard quite a lot of people not like it and i just don't understand it is it is so wonderful oh my god the face that she just made when you said that, i love it just like... <laughs> don't come after me <laughs> I, just, I i no, i know i know i just made a face like someone had like shoved raw like sauerkraut <laughs> in my face i just don't understand it's so yeah. pure well i mean it's it's looked at out outside of this beautiful trio that we have going on um it's I mean, financially, it, this was, like, in the big period of Steven Spielberg. Like, he was mm. riding his highs. But it, I tend to see it lumped in more with your Always and your 1941 yeah. rather than, like, your Jurassic Parks and your Indiana Joneses and yeah. your Schindler's List. Like, it's looked at as one... I mean, financially, it was one of Steven Spielberg's lesser performers. Mm-hmm. And it just... It does not get looked at the same... Like, I feel like it's in the same vein as E.T. That similar type of audience yeah. that you're dealing with. Yeah. But E.T. is considered the incredible classic. Yeah. And Hook is... Man, are you sure Steven Spielberg's straight edge? Because this looks like a cocaine fantasy <laughs> to us. Like, Well, and it has so much... Well, one, it has so much rewatch value because there's so much you you don't get about it the first time around. Like thinking of the loss of innocence like there is also the other side where peter becomes too innocent and forgets that he has to rescue his kids Mm -hmm. he has to kind of i think that's the film's thesis is that it's like this balance but then also you have a kid named don't ask who's a smart ass and a kid who literally turns into a human cannonball and rolls (laughs) And it's so cute. 
That was a very 90s moment. That was a very, like, this could be an outtake from Heavyweights. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it dives into the Lost Boys in a way that uh, I at least don't usually see. Um, it. You mean you don't watch Jake and the Neverland Pirates, Andy? <laughs> I have not gotten I, to I, it I want everyone. <laughs> I want everyone listening right now to know the very best thing you can do for Stephanie right now is to send her all of the clips, pictures, and gifs from Jake and the Neverland Pirates that you can. I hate you. I want you to inundate her. I want her to be flooded with Jake and the Neverland Pirates everything. Okay, we should should explain this. I am so snobby about Peter Pan that it's like, I'm like, that's not appropriate. Headcanon. It's not acceptable. It doesn't exist to me. And Alex... Anytime he wants to piss me off, he's like, oh, look, they it's Jake and the Neverland Pirates. <laughs> Just off the shores of Neverland, a hideaway at sea. Yo-ho! Yo-ho! Let's go! Let's go! Pretty great. That's, anyway. It's a great way to spend a Saturday afternoon. I'm yeah. just going to say that. Like. So, Andy, what is your favorite Robin Williams you know, movie? It is, it is so terrifically hard to nail this down and answer this question because... You know, even it's been two days since we were emailing back and forth about this, and I think my answers changed twice in the last two days. Um, I'm going to go ahead and talk about. I want to talk about Night at the Museum, which, if that counts, I I guess that's mine. But my biggest thing is that's not a Robin Williams movie. That's a Ben Stiller movie with Robin Williams in it. Um, I digress. Mm. Night at the Museum is nonetheless very important to me, and we're talking about how Robin Williams affected us, uh, affected our childhoods, and and helped shaped us as as the people we are now. Um, you know, Night at the Museum came out uh, at the tail end of my freshman year at high school, and the thing that happened mm-hmm. at the front end of my freshman year in high school. Wait, 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 Andy, Andy, can I please tell this story? I think it's way better. I think from it my is too. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, did so, you just interrupt him to be like, I tell this No, thing. he does yes. now. Because my perspective of this, my perspective of this is so much more entertaining. So, um, if you all want to venture back with us, this is, this is, a, this is like love-hate relationship origin story <laughs> right now in this moment. Um, so, at, at the year, the year in question. Um, six, I think. Uh, 2000, yes, I believe that was 2006. Um, I was a junior in high school and the, and I was a theater kid and the very first production that year was a production of Arsenic and Old Lace. Now, if you're familiar with Arsenic and Old Lace, um, the best character in that entire show, (laughs) the best character and this 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 is a show that has a guy who look a murderer who looks like Boris Karloff, and a plast an alcoholic plastic surgeon who's named Doctor Einstein. It is a weird show, but the best character is an insane young man named Teddy, who believes that he is President Theodore Roosevelt. Believes it, dresses like it, looks like it. Talks like it, threatens people with shotguns like it. Plays like, the bugle. He is yeah. he yes. believes with all his heart that he is Theodore Roosevelt. Now, at the time, myself and a guy who was one year ahead of me, who was like kind of the leading actor in his year, 
we were both sitting here just going, we're, it's, it's neck and neck between me and you. Like, we're the two guys, we're the two ones who are clearly up for this role. And, like, we had this tacit respect for one another uh, <laughs> where I was like, okay, you know what? If I, well, straight up, he was like, if I have to lose this role out to anybody, I'm okay if it's you. If I have to lose this role out to anybody, I'm okay if it's you. Best man wins. We both went in. We both studied for this. We both made sure we knew everything there was to know about these characters. We audition. We come back for to see our callbacks. He gets a callback for the male lead in the show, who's this, who's Teddy's older brother, who's a normal person. He's a straight, he's a kind of yep. a straight form character. I have a callback for Doctor Einstein, which don't get me wrong, was a fun role to play. But we were both sitting here like, who the? Why is there only one role that has one person scheduled for a callback? Why is it some freshman named Andy Bowell? No, 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 no. You said at the time, and I was there, who the hell is Andy Bowell? Because no one knew that your last (laughs) name was Bowell. We thought it was Bowell. We had no idea. We were so pissed. (laughs) And we did our auditions. We got our parts. Like, we did our callbacks, and we got our parts, and we got cast. And the whole time, we're just sitting here fuming it's and it's me and Mike and we're like fuming that there's this kid who's taken our role and we don't know who he is and then we actually saw him and watched him perform and we did not acknowledge at the time that he was very good because <laughs> we were still angry but that was how I met Andy. Now we went on to become great friends. I think during that show yeah. as we just hung out more and I got yeah. over it and. I don't think you ever became good friends with Mike, but you and I have remained friends ever since. But the point is, you stole my <laughs> fucking role, Andy, and it's not okay. Uh, you we only became friends after you got one or two really good kicks at my shin, so I think we're square. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, was that in Alex's shin kicking days? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. I miss those days. Those were wonderful. I days. don't. Yeah. Uh, Neither does anyone that... that knew you at that time. That's fair. That role introduced me to spirit gum. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> Remember when we peeled the spirit gum mustache off of you and it hurt like hell? Yes. Oh, yes that was great. Please continue. Um, that, 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 so, so for, for the context of my story, uh, of my side of it, uh, I had moved to Orlando like four weeks prior to this audition. <laughs> I don't, I don't know a soul. I don't know a soul. I don't know how the Florida education system works, so it I'm doesn't. in a bunch of like, it doesn't. yeah, right. Uh, I'm, I'm in a bunch of classes with uh, people who are the nicest way to say it is less intellectual than I. Um, Very polite, Andrew. What a kind. I boy. don't have. I, I, I don't have. I, I knew I wanted to be in drama club, but you know, this is a new drama club. This is a a foreign concept, so I don't know anybody and. And uh, plucky freshman Andy learns uh, an Ace Ventura monologue and uh, sinks this part and and gets this role. And that was what uh, injected me into the drama club where I I, I stayed for the next four years. And and by senior year, that was my friggin drama club. And it, it meant so much to me. It meant so much to me. It meant so much to high school actor Andy. Um, 
So that's the context on Teddy and Arsenic and Old Lace. And I still have that DVD of, <gasps> uh, of our show. Can I come over and watch it? Absolutely. Yay! <laughs> well, let me just hop on a plane. I'll be right there. It'll be two hours. So... That is what happens at the beginning of my freshman year. At the end of freshman year, or maybe the beginning of sophomore year, within a calendar year of Arsenic and Old Lace, uh, Night of the Museum comes out. And who is in Night of the Museum but Robin Williams playing fucking Theodore Roosevelt? Yes! And he's a good Theodore Roosevelt. He's he, he the the best line in that movie is "I'm made of wax, Larry. What are you made out of?" Oh, and and he's amazing, and he's wonderful, and he's Teddy, and I was Teddy, and and so that means so much to me. Mm-hmm. If that counts as a Robin Williams movie, then my answer has to be "Night at the Museum." You'll have to excuse me, though. The hunt is afoot. If it doesn't count, my answer keeps changing. And as of today, I'm going to go with Mrs. Doubtfire because that was always on as I was a kid. Hell yeah. Um, you know, let's, let's talk about Mrs. Doubtfire for a second. Uh, the movie that showed it was okay for your parents to go through a divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yes. the movie that showed that, that sometimes uh, uh, a man and a woman fall out of love with each other but that doesn't mean they fall out of love with their their kids a a movie that humanizes the divorcee father in a way that Mm -hmm. i don't think had been done Mm -hmm. yeah Um, i mean probably at least not since kramer versus kramer right like right yeah yeah yeah. um so miss doubtfire is is a phenomenal movie you know it's we're, we're gonna talk about it a little later but um you know, the, what Robin Williams does through the physicality and becoming Mrs. Doubtfire, like in, in, a, in a way, it's sort of a clunky trans positivity or at least cross-dressing positivity kind of message. The motivations maybe, maybe, maybe not so much. But what you can point to is you can point to uh, Harvey Firestein and what's the other guy <laughs> as his his gay brother-in-law and, and his husband who are... Um, uh, the makeup artists. Like, yeah. So perfect. Any closer and you'd be mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Mrs. Doubtfire so much. So, oh, so those are, I, I, I have to cheat. And, and at the current moment, it's those two night of the museum and Mrs. Doubtfire. But that's, that's my answer. No, you know um, what? I'm, I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that answer at all. And I, I think I love Mrs. Doubtfire just because like it, it examined a narrative that you don't see. Like, you're right. We don't yeah. see the divorcee father. We don't see his sad, empty apartment other than a drop-off pickup scene. Mm-hmm. So the fact that, like, he hasn't really unpacked a whole lot yet. And he's, like, apologizing to his kids that he doesn't have a lot of stuff yet. Like, that was a very vital part of the movie. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think about that movie, and and it's funny because there are so many aspects of that movie that we can sit here and talk about that are problematic looking with this backwards Yeah, lens. it hasn't aged um, super well. Well, it, okay, so it hasn't. And and at the same, like, all right, I'm going to be this dude who says, all right, let's examine the art through the lens of its time period. Sure. Yeah. And my my and my trump card for doing that every single time oh. is, I. it's the phrase preceded the man. I, I know, I just, sorry, just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Continue. Okay, fine, fine. <laughs> My ace in the hole for 
Dirty. Okay, that works. So um, my ace card in the anus for being able to uh, talk about this, as I always will point to, okay, Ricky Ricardo was problematic as fuck, but the fact of the matter is there weren't people who looked like me on TV before that dude. So um, when I look at Patch, or why do I keep bringing up Patch Adams? When I look at Mrs. Doubtfire, the problematic aspects of it, you're right. I mean, there's this divorce dad narrative. There's this weirdness that I find with a lot of people who talk about Mrs. Doubtfire after the fact. And I and honestly, I was putting Mrs. Doubtfire up there with probably one of my favorite Robin Williams movies. Um, everyone loves his character in this movie because of this struggle. And looking back on it, his character is legitimately a terrible father. He's a, he's a father who loves yeah. his children dearly, but that movie opens with... Him essentially letting his kids throw a rager? Well, and he wanted to be his parent, his daughter, his kid's best friend. Not yeah. like not like their parent, which I see. Honestly, I'm going to have trouble doing that if we ever decide to be parents because I have this insane need to be liked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think it also, like... It's so human and so real and such a hard thing to struggle with. Yeah, he's not a great dad, but he so loves his kids. Enough to violate a restraining order. Uh, yeah. yeah. He does some awful, from a, from, a, from a legal perspective, he does some awful stuff. Yes. And from a, you know, if you're going to look at this in the context of 2018, it is... It is, it is warped and it, it is more offensive than it was in... What, whatever year that came out in. Yes. Yeah. Now, all that's... He also, like, weirdly tries to police his ex-wife's sexuality as Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, and yeah. Like, right. Wear this frock so Pierce Brosnan doesn't want to fuck you. And it's like... The mm. only answer is total and complete celibacy. <laughs> there's some disturbing Side aspects note. there. But, sorry, go ahead. Side note, uh, my mom's crush on Pierce Brosnan is the other reason Mrs. Doubtfire was always on. <laughs> Yes. Was, was Pierce Brosnan your mom's James Bond? Because my mom's James Bond was Roger Moore. Uh, like, there's a running there's a running line in my family that I was almost named Roger after Roger Moore because she had such a crush <laughs> on Roger Moore. Uh, yeah, Brosnan is absolutely my mom's James Bond. Hot. Aww. Hot. Okay. Aww. I can just see your mom sitting there in the corner thirsting after Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> yep. No more foreplay. <laughs> well, okay, so that's a good point. Like... One of the the storylines that doesn't get commented on as much is the like Sally Field Sally Fields, yes? Yes. Yeah, Sally yes. Fields, Pierce Brosnan romance and how also that's not a narrative that's shown a lot. You don't often see wife gets woman gets married, woman is unhappy in marriage, woman gets divorced. You don't often then see her having a successful relationship after the divorce. This is not something Hollywood shows. Like, it's always, it doesn't work out, or she's too needy, or she gets wine drunk at home, but it's not her then going out and finding a super hot guy who not only likes her, loves her kids, and even after the whole deal with her crazy ex-husband being the live-in nanny, is still willing to be like, no, I think you're awesome. I want to hang out with you. I want to be your kid's stepdad. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, legit. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's an amazing movie. Um, 
So, Alex, would you or would you say Mrs. Doubtfire, or, or do you have another one you want to go into? I'm always so goddamn all over the place when it comes to... I'm like you, because uh, <laughs> yeah. if you asked me this question, you know, a week and a half ago before we were talking about this idea, and you were like, what's your favorite Robin Williams role? Like, gun to my head, I'd probably be like, the genie, the genie, because, I mean, they've taught... They have taught film classes about his role in that movie and the number of voices he does for it. And it's... Oh, yeah, as a voice actor aficionado. Yeah, and and as everyone remembers from, I think, an episode or two ago, like, I am so into voice acting. And Robin Williams, not a professional voice actor, though he has some incredible credits to him. Um, Happy Feet is wonderful, by the way. Uh, Yeah. So... Gun to my head, I probably would have said the genie. And I grew up, like, going back to the What's Your Robin Williams movie. You know, that movie came out in 92. Um, and it wasn't really... I was three at the time. But it was one of my sister's favorite movies. We had... A, I remember our VHS copy of Aladdin. We watched Aladdin hmm. constantly. I had an Aladdin video game. I, like... That was my jam. And I loved the genie. The genie was always the best character. But on top of that, I mean, I don't know, man, because Patch Adams and Jack both have a very soft spot in my heart. Like, mm. I think about his character in, his characters in both Patch Adams and Dead Poet Society as these, like, poetry-obsessed yeah. Yeah. men who love, love to be there for children and... Don't give me that face. Like, try try to help children who are going through these terrible times. And, uh, and, and I mean, I think about those characters, and those characters are deeply rooted in my heart. At mm-hmm. the same time, like, I remember Mrs. Doubtfire. I remember the birdcage and his character mm. in the birdcage. Now, is Robin Williams the best part of the birdcage? Probably not. I think Nathan Lane's Nathan my, Lane, f- my sure. favorite part of the birdcage. You know everything because you're a man and I know nothing because I'm a woman. You're not a woman. But, like, that's there. Jumanji is such oh, a Jumanji deep cut so for me. I remember going... Insomnia was one of the first movies I went to go see by myself. And I remember watching Insomnia and I did not know Robin Williams was going to be in it. Yeah. And that was the first movie where I saw Robin Williams and I'm like, wait a minute, this is not a funny movie. After that, I was calm. Real calm. Why is Robin Williams here? Yep. And I remember thinking like, oh God, this is, that was the same year Death to Smoochie came out. And I think One Hour Photo came out that year too. Yes. So I'm sitting here going like, Robin Williams is trying to do dark shit. Um, Stephanie just looked at me like Death to Smoochie. Death to Smoochie is not a movie I've heard of, but it's definitely the name really? of the girl band I want to start now. Death to Smoochie <laughs> is a truly Death? ridiculous dark comedy film. It's not. Oh, yeah. It's not. It, again, this is one of those Robin Williams movies where it's not great, but not because of him. Oh, okay. Like. Yeah, the, the simplest way to describe Death to Smoochie is imagine if Robin Williams wanted to kill Barney. Like like behind the scenes, um, and that's Death to Smoochie, basically. But okay. I mean, and I mean, like it's not like every Robin Williams movie was brilliant. Andy, the same year that A Night at the Museum came out, RV came out. Oh. Yeah, I was I wasn't gonna bring up RV. Like, <laughs> RV is just gonna gloss over that, Alex. Like I remember watching RV and just going like, oh, Robin Williams. 
honey, sweetie, baby, no. This is not great. And it's not his best performance either. Like, it's very low-key. Well, wasn't there also a movie that's, I think that same year or the pre- year previous where he was trying to be elected Man, of the, Man of the Year, which is it's got the same problem. Um, oh God, what's that Robin? What's the Will Ferrell movie um, where he's he's the character in somebody's book? Oh, uh, Stranger Than Fiction. fiction. Man of the Year. Man of the Year has the same problem as Stranger Than Fiction, where everyone saw who was the star of the movie and went, "Oh my God, that's a comedy," and it's not a comedy. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, I thought you were going to say Stranger Than Fiction was a bad movie, and I was like, I will march to your house right now. No, but, <laughs> no, but that's, I mean, that's a great example, you know? And you you touched on this earlier, Andy, but, like, think of a movie like Jack. Jack is ostensibly supposed to be kind of a comedy movie, but holy shit, it's not that funny in a lot yeah. of parts. Mm. Well, even Mrs. Doubtfire, like, it's a funny movie, but, like, also, God, what a tearjerker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Good Morning Vietnam, he's playing himself pretty much as the wacky uh, radio DJ who's just riffing on shit. And my absolute favorite moment in that movie is after uh, after there's been the bombing at the cafe and he, he locks himself in the radio room. And, you know, he's been told he can't report on this thing. So he tries to um, he tries to do the funny bit and he can't. And yeah. he, he he breaks and he immediately starts, uh, you know, ranting how unofficially a bomb has gone off. And, uh, and it is it is a tragic three minutes. And and I, God, I love it. Yeah. yeah. No. So. So if you're if you're asking me to come up with my favorite Robin Williams movie, I just gave you a list. I'm very yeah, sorry. I think that's the fair. Best, yeah. The best I can do is tell is. If you ask me, like, what's your favorite Robin Williams movie, I gotta ask you what time it is, because yeah. it just depends. Yeah. I think that's fair. And you you touched on so much stuff that I didn't, that that uh, we hadn't talked about yet, uh, that I really am glad that you did. You know, bringing up The Birdcage, which is uh, a, a great movie. And the thing I want to say about The Birdcage is, you know, playing Armand, playing a out and proud gay man who has a son is yes. such a such a challenging such a complex especially for 87 or whenever the birdcage came out especially for that time it was such a a bold complex character to be like no i'm gonna play this it's it's great um you know we we haven't talked about bicentennial man and the the nature of of life we haven't talked about what dreams may come and what is probably my favorite depiction of heaven Mm. Um, we also haven't talked about the music video for don't worry be happy (laughs) true which he did strictly because he and bobby farron bobby mcfarron were neighbors and bobby mcfarron was like Hey, I have to shoot a music video. Do you want to? Do you want to be in it? Like what? an afternoon free? And Robin Williams is like, Yeah, sure, Bobby. I'll be in your, I'll be in your music video. <laughs> what? So the whole thing nice. is basically Bobby McFerrin, some other dude, and Robin Williams dancing around a mansion. Like, yeah. Did you not know about this? No, it's like you gave me two puppies and a plate full of fine cheeses, and you were like, Here, 
Here, wife. <laughs> it is your best day. I have to look that up after we're done recording. Do not yep. let the puppies eat the cheese. um so there's there's so much i think we could probably if we really wanted to we could do another hour just on this segment and and talking about all the all the wonderful and amazing things we are coming up to to an hour to an hour and i know we still have some stuff we want to get into so alex do you want to lead us into what you wanted to talk about yeah yeah so um i just had a couple things that i really wanted to touch on about this, um, you guys have done an incredible job outlining Robin Williams's creative work. Um, a couple things that mean a lot to me about Robin Williams that uh, don't get centered as much. First of all, is uh, Robin Williams's personal politics. So, a lot of people seem to view Robin Williams as this weirdly like apolitical, or if he's political, he's political in that like liberal Hollywood kind of way like but but in actuality Robin Williams was someone who really put his personal politics his deeply progressive politics kind of front and center with a lot of his work and a lot of his day-to-day life uh he was a practicing Episcopalian uh and if you've ever seen his stand-up uh he did refer to oh my god we barely even touched on his stand-up anyway um Jesus so he referred to Episcopalianism as uh, Catholic light. Uh, it was all the rituals, but half the guilt. And he, there are so many accounts of Robin Williams just being an incredibly good dude. You talked about his, his stuff with Christopher Reeves and, uh, and caring for him. And, and we talked about how he cared for his family. He, cared, he, he called him constantly on, on a regular basis all the way until his death. And his death hit him very hard. Um, he, we talked about him in Aladdin and how there were two main issues he had with performing in Aladdin and they, they, he, he got screwed by Disney ultimately, but his first thing was, I don't want my, my presence in this film to be center stage in terms of selling things. You know, I, I'm I'm interested in being in this film because I want to be part. And he, he this is this is I think this is a paraphrase of quote. He said, "I want to be part of this tradition of animation. I want something for my children." And so he was interested in it, but he said, "I don't want my name attached to stuff. I don't want my name attached to things that are going to be sold in Burger King wrappers. Like I don't want to be part of this corporate machination." And Disney originally agreed to this and then they did the testing and the way it obviously happens the genie is the most popular character in this entire movie by a stupid margin who else are you gonna love that much aladdin who's played by steve from full house like (laughs) (laughs) that's a true story by the way that Um, is yeah but um so they come back to him, and, and and by the way, Robin Williams did this for scale. Like, he did the whole thing for scale. He did not get paid a giant Robin Williams salary. He got paid the same as, like, any voice actor doing one of these things. And they came back to him, and they were like, we want to renegotiate your contract because we, we want this movie to do well, and we want to promote you for this. Robin Williams had two issues. One was this whole deal with not wanting his image being used for these corporate sponsorships. And the other was he had another project 
a project that meant a lot to him coming out the same year called Toys. You've never heard of Toys. I'm speaking to most of the audience here. You've never sure. heard of Toys. <laughs> I hadn't heard of Toys until I, until I read this story. I'm sorry. Toys did not do well. And part of the reason Toys did not do well was because of Disney. Robin Williams really wanted to not overshadow this other project and to not have his image used his image and name used for these corporate sponsorships disney came back to him and said to promote this movie we want to change your contract we'll pay you more we'll pay you seventy five thousand dollars instead of standard scale and we want and and we'll agree to your terms and he said okay my these are my he and he talked to his lawyers and he came back and came up with these terms and he's like okay uh you can't use uh my my promotional material my character my name it can't be in more than in, in the images, it can't take up more than 25% of the space, maximum. And Disney said, we can work with that. So they started pumping out posters where the genie is above all of the other characters in this, like, fucking Mufasa coming out of the clouds type of imagery <laughs> where he's overshadowing everything. But it only geographically took up 25% of the poster. Disney still did those sponsorships and then when Robin Williams complained about it publicly they basically presented the idea that he did it because of the money that he's complaining because of the money and not because Robin Williams had very deep ethics about the work that he was doing and that he deeply wanted to work with Disney to be part of a beautiful and incredible tradition but that the stranglehold of that company choked off and just beat down every little letter of the contract until the spirit of everything was violated as far as it could go. And Robin Williams never worked with them again on anything like it. Mm. He never came back to do any of the other stuff for the genie in the sequels, in the TV show, in any of it, even though he probably would have been very, very interested in it. So interestingly enough, when you talk about Robin Williams' politics, one of so I just looked up toys just because I had never heard of it. But a synopsis of the film on Google is a high-tech toy factory falls into the hands of an army general who turns the models into killing machines. The deceased owner's children know what's afoot and, although apparently powerless, have to find a way of bringing down the nightmarish empire that is being constructed under their noses. That is the most lefty movie (laughs) description I have ever heard of. It's very, like, down with the establishment, down with the man, we're going to bring back our toy factory and not make it into an evil gun-making. And without looking it up, I want to say it's it's Dennis Hopper's The General, or... Um, uh, Michael Gambon. Michael okay. Gambon. Yes. So <laughs> Robin Wright is in it. Damn. Robin Wright is in it. Uh, Joan Cusack is in it. LL Cool J. That's that's not a point in its favor. Um, and <laughs> Jamie Jamie Fox. Nineteen ninety two Jamie Fox, who's a great Jamie Fox. Oh. Yeah. It it is a it is a wonderful little gem of a movie. And okay. I thank you for bring, raising it to the public consciousness. I will. I, I'll watch it. Like I'll happily watch it. But I I need to emphasize. I had not heard of this movie until doing this research and and finding all of this stuff out. Yeah. Sure. And and the fact is like. That that speaks a lot to how little people know about that aspect of Robin Williams. Robin Williams was constantly mentoring new comics. Robin Williams, like there was, there's a podcast that is now now defunct, um, but that ran for a good ten years called Citizen Radio. That Robin Williams 
pretty much helped get off the ground because they were this hard lefty progressive podcast and Robin Williams not only mentored the hosts he const- he gave them tons of money he tried to he would call them to encourage them and say keep the project going keep it going you're doing good work um the project fell apart for um cuz one of the hosts is a monster but that's besides the point huh. but oh oh you know just Ben yeah yeah no that's fine but um but he would do those little things all over the place. He would sponsor projects. He would sponsor charities. He he base he was one of the biggest donors to St. Jude's Children's Hospital and got no fanfare for it. Wanted no fanfare for it. Was just like right. I'm going to do this thing. This is just a thing that I do. Yeah. He he t- he did constant USO tours. He was one of the co-founders of Comic Relief with Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg. That was a little before our time. But if you look up, so you can find a lot of those old comic relief bits on YouTube. They were hilarious, and he raised thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars by doing that. Like, Robin Williams was deeply, deeply dedicated to trying to leave the world in a slightly better place than he came into it. And, you know, he, he was a person of, he grew up with privilege. He came from money, and he felt it his personal responsibility to not squander that privilege. Absolutely. He was not only a phenomenal entertainer, but he was a phenomenal human. Um, And that makes what we're segueing into all the more harder to talk about. Yeah. So um, I wanted to have a discussion about the terms of his death. And things surrounding that, because I, and, and I don't, I, I want to be careful not to retread the conversation we had last episode, yeah, where we talked about this idea of a tortured artist. Because Robin Williams, after his death, that was something that came up in a lot of places. People like, and these aren't gone. You can go online and find these old takes on like Huffington Post and the Washington Post, all saying like, all making this argument that the same things that cause a person to be so brilliant, so genius, so funny, so kind, so empathetic, are the very same things that can lead them down these dark, horrible paths of addiction or depression or suicidal tendencies. And for those who don't know all the details, Robin Williams uh, did pass away uh, he, he died by suicide. He hung himself in yes. his home. And uh, it's believed that part of the reason was because he had been given a diagnosis of early-onset Parkinson's disease. Did you not know that? I didn't know that. Oh, I'm sorry. That's No, I'm, I came into this knowing we were going to talk about depression. That's, um, my loins are girded. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, and I, I had heard, uh, actually, that the Parkinson's was slightly misdiagnosed, but that he did have uh, a nervous disorder yeah. uh, that was discovered upon autopsy. And I, that narrative upsets me. It, it upsets me just as much as that tortured artist narrative always does, because to me, it is such an easy explanation. Yeah. It's like we can sit here and say that, you know, 
what was it you said last time andy i think it was like one i think it was the episode where we talked about tortured artists where you said um candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long yes that's that's the quote i used yeah and i mean that's it's it is an easy narrative to put forward Mm. Um, and you know, Robin Williams did struggle. He also struggled with addictions. You know, he, he was a coke. He was on cocaine until Jim Belushi died. Um, not Jim Belushi, John Belushi, Jim Belushi's still kicking. Um, <laughs> but when John Belushi passed away, uh, you know, Robin, that's when Robin Williams quit cocaine. He, he got sober for the most part. Um, he continued to struggle with alcohol, but you know, he quit cocaine at that point and it's addictive addiction depression anxiety paranoia he was suffering very intense paranoia towards the end of his life these are not things that feed a creative mind the way that a lot of the people make putting these takes on uh seem to suggest it does um this is important to me because i because i'm a survivor of suicide I've done that. I have been in that place. And the only reason that I'm still here is because I wasn't very good with blades when I was 13. Hmm. And before and after that, I had a lot of struggling with what was going on in my own head. And what I've come out of that after meditation, after therapy, after watching examples of these, after listening to every terrible take that exists, after listening to the sermons, after reading all the medical paperwork and the pop science and all of that is we don't know shit about what's going on with a particular person's experience. Yeah. We want to look at Robin Williams as this bright, incredible, almost inhuman figure that was just shooting through our lives, and and we caught we would catch these glimpses of him, and we he'd make us laugh here, or he'd make us think here, or we would hear these wonderful stories about these incredible things that he was doing, and we want to look at him like he's inhuman. And he was very human. He was very open about how human he was. And in a weird way, the suicide should be the thing that humanizes him the most. But it doesn't. It closes the lid on the coffin of his inhumanity. And I don't accept that. I refuse to accept that. Because that's not my narrative, and I doubt it was his. Yeah, I I completely agree with that take. Um, And I think you're right. You know, the we're, we're learning more and more. The grass is not always greener and yeah. you can't you can't look at somebody. And I mean, hell, we haven't we, we've been pointing at Robin Williams and we haven't even been saying, oh, he was he, he was such a successful rich movie star. It was a, we, we haven't been comparing talking about him in that way. We've been talking about, oh, he was such an amazing person. And here's our evidence to that. And it didn't change him being such a amazing person didn't do anything to slay his own demons. Right. You know, it didn't, nobody, nobody can say, I know what was in the man's head 
uh, it, during, you know, the last couple years of his life or, or during the entirety of his life. Um, so, you know, I don't want to retread what we talked about uh, in the last episode either, but I do feel it's necessary to hammer home this point whenever it is presented to me that success does not equal happiness and it is a difficult depression is a difficult subject depression is a a horribly awful multifaceted thing that is constantly trying to attack those that are afflicted by it and it takes a whole lot and not what people always think, but it, it, it takes a whole lot of, of support and truth to self. And it, it, it's, it, it needs to be combated on multiple levels and these stories and these, these tragedies highlight that, I think. Yeah. Um, I think now it's important to say for any of our dear sweet listeners, if you are suffering with depression or you are having suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Um, The number is 1-800-273-8255. Know that you're wanted on the earth. Know that you're loved. And that the world wouldn't be the same without you. Absolutely. Uh, And I'll I'll add to that. Uh, It was very important to us when we started this project that we have this available, given that we... You know, we deal we deal with relationship questions on this podcast. Part of, that was part of the concept of this project from the beginning. We wanted to do advice segments and not just you know talk about what we love or hate. And uh, I I made sure that to uh, talk to Andy about this when we started this. I wanted to make sure that we had resources because once in a while we get questions about heavy shit, you know? And so uh, on our website, on lovehaterelationship.net slash resources, we have uh, lines, links, uh, text numbers. We have we have resources for people dealing with everything from suicide, general crises, uh, rape, sexual assault, domestic violence, substance abuse. We have the Trevor Helpline. We, we we've got resources for you. If you need more of them, you can feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to point you in the right directions. But I I can't stress enough. When it comes to suicide, the statistics bear this out and so do my personal experience. Almost everyone who actually makes an attempt on their own life and does not succeed does not go on to try again. That's true for me. That's true for the numbers. That's true for a lot of people that I speak to on this subject. Trust me when I say it's complicated. It's hard. I get that. We get that. We all know that. But it's not everything. Your life is everything. Everything else is not. And I think Robin Williams would agree with me. I think you're right. I think so too. For whatever we can know about the man, so yeah, and it's it's hard because how much do you how much can someone really know about him just by watching his movies and by watching his TV shows and by reading interviews? So interesting, like we talk about Robin Williams and what a great actor he was and how much he touched all of our lives, but like I said at the beginning, you know, we're really grieving the parts of ourselves that we're losing. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm sure that he was as perfect and lovely as he came across. 
By all indications, he seems to have been. Yeah. And he meant a lot to us. He meant a lot to everyone recording this. And, you know, hopefully he meant a lot to you, dear listener. If not, um, you have Thank you for listening, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening to an hour of us rambling about Robin Williams. Yeah. I mean, over the course of this, we've given you a whole list of a lot of things you can look up and watch. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, and you know what? It wasn't just us saying Aladdin 19 times, uh, even though we probably could have done a solid hour on Aladdin alone, or we could have done a solid hour on Mrs. Doubtfire or any of them. Um, I'm, tr- I'm sitting here trying to think of, like, what's a Robin Williams project that we didn't even mention, but... Uh, robots. Oh, oh, no, screw... Ro- not screw robots. Uh, my wife actually really enjoys robots. It's a fine CGI movie. But something we didn't even touch on was World's Greatest Dad, which is probably my favorite later career movie he did, where he plays a struggling writer, and it- it's a dark friggin' comedy. Um, but he plays a struggling writer whose kid accidentally kills himself with autoerotic asphyxiation. Uh, oh, and gosh. The, the, the kid is uh, Junie from Spy Kids, which is great. Motherfucker, I was going to mention old dogs. What the hell? <laughs> um, it's, it's a dark comedy. I know, I know what I'm saying is totally screwed up, but he, uh, he writes a, a fake journal for his son after he discovers um, what's happened and mm. makes his son out to be this, this poignant, tortured, depressed soul. And by publishing this fake uh, journal, uh, Robin Williams's character like gets all this fame and accolades. And you, oh, uh, the, the whole thing ends with it being way too heavy for him. And, uh, uh, the, there's this great montage at the end of him running through the gym uh, halls of the school, stripping off all of his clothes before jumping into the pool. So if you want to see uh, a really great movie and maybe Robin Williams's penis, go and watch World's Greatest Dad. That is a beautiful way to end this podcast, <laughs> Andrew. I, I'd love to say, gosh, you guys have curated such a classy, wonderful, just beautiful podcast and then there was that <laughs> <laughs> i uh i i needed to swing for the fences to uh emotionally get us into a new headspace or at least to get myself into <laughs> one so uh... um so here's an idea right off the cuff just uh, just as our our closing uh and it fits with what alex was talking about uh we've talked about our our favorite Robin Williams movies and just to close out if you guys can uh on the spot what's your favorite Robin Williams moment period in, in his movies or his comedy or anything uh so the first thing that comes to mind for me and I don't know if this is my favorite but this is the first one that comes to mind it's from uh his one of his stand-up specials and he's talking about Sarah Palin and he said he specifically calls out the point about Sarah Palin where she go, he's like, and then we have Sarah Palin because he's doing the thing where he just riffs into a million voices and he goes, um, so there's Sarah Palin and uh, she says, oh, I know about Russia because I can see it from my house. <laughs> well, I can see San Quentin from my house. It doesn't make me an expert on prison reform. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, so perfect. That was like a perfect little like two line joke. Just yeah. expertly done. And it's the first thing that pops in my head when I think about it. So that's there you too. go. 
I am torn uh, between the scenes on the bus and Mrs. Doubtfire with the bus driver. Sure, that's a great one, yeah. Um, but because we've talked about Mrs. Doubtfire a lot, I will say, um, also to his stand-up, he had a bit where he said that you should be able to select the voice of the GPS, and there should be, <laughs> in honor of you, Andy, there should be a Scottish brogue GPS. Take a right. Take a right. Take a fucking right. <laughs> you missed your turn. You fucking idiot. I oh, you've, oh, you've done it now. <laughs> You'll have to forgive me. My Scottish accent is nowhere near as good as yours, Andy. Listen, it's not about how right the Scottish accent is. It's about how Scottish the Scottish accent is. <laughs> I love how the Scottish accent has, like, this texture that you could practically chew up and spit out again. You realize that's just the Scotsman from Samurai Jack. That's John DiMaggio's Scotsman, Andy. <laughs> Magic runes, laddie. All them fancy moves will get you nowhere. Uh, um, I love it. We're going we're gonna to have to do a love on Scottish accents now. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Um, to keep with the theme, my favorite bit from uh, his stand-up... Uh, is Robin Williams live on Broadway, and he opens the show by saying, this is not going to be a night of high-class theater. This is going to be Shakespeare with a strap-on. <laughs> Sounds about right. Oh, my God. Um, and my Wait, favorite... Shakespeare doesn't have strap-ons? Like, I feel like that's a thing, and I could name a couple of Shakespeare shows with that. There's, there's a couple of sword-measuring jokes we can, we can get into in there. Body hand of the dial is now upon the prick of noon. I get you. <laughs> um, and my favorite Rob Williams moment overall is, I, I, I said it earlier, it's just simply, Good morning, Vietnam! And I'm going to drop in that audio clip, and it, it's going to make me cry, and it's going to be great. I love it. Um, okay. So that has been the first ever love-hate relationship, triple love extravaganza. Uh, on Robin Williams, and we're so glad you could join us. Um, you Thank can you. follow me. Uh, I am Andy Bowell, and I am at JovoCop2113 on Twitter. Uh, and I am at AXRUIZ on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Stephanie, do you want to let the people know where they can follow your stuff? Sure. Um... I am, like Andy said, the editor-in-chief of The Past Note, which you can find online at thepastnotereview.com. You can find my poems in lovely literary magazines such as Banshee, QU, Beecher's Magazine, and Lumina Magazine. You can also find me on social, on Twitter at ScribbleSuite, and also on Instagram if you want to see way too many pictures of Alex and Cake <laughs> at ScribbleSuite. Yeah. Nice. Um, oh, and um, because we haven't been able to promote this since uh, our show, as of this recording, is now live. Uh, it hasn't been for all of our other recordings, three months late. Uh, but you, our lovely listeners, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and YouTube. Uh, and you can also tweet us. You can tweet the podcast at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D any of your questions and you can follow us to keep up with new episodes and um check us out at lovehaterelationship.net uh just for who we are download our episodes send us your relationship questions uh which you can also just go to lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com so thanks for listening everyone and uh please as always tell your enemies <laughs> <laughs>